This is episode 117 with trail runner, ultra marathoner, and the fifth place finisher at this year's North Face 50 Mile Championships, Ms. Abby Levine. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald, and today we're talking to a rising star in the trail ultra running world, Ms. Abby Levine. I first met Abby in Boulder, Colorado about two months ago. It was a chilly night, and we talked well after sunset with two other prior podcast guests, Anna Mae Flynn and Abby Hall, about performance, recovery, and nutrition. Abby is back today to talk about her journey to the ultra marathon. She's relatively new to the sport of ultras, but not to running. She competed for the University of Colorado at Boulder as a grad student and has a background in the 5K and 10K. But as it happens so frequently to Colorado residents, the mountains came calling. In just the last few years, Abby has made a name for herself as an Adidas-sponsored trail runner. And just about two weeks ago, Abby placed fifth at the renowned North Face Endurance Challenge 50-mile championships in her first 50-mile race ever. Talk about a debut. I also want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Inside Tracker. I've been a big fan of Inside Tracker for years because of their science-backed, evidence-based system of helping runners avoid burnout, overtraining, and injury through their blood testing service. Take a selfie from the inside, as they say, and go to insidetracker.com, use code STRENGTHRUNNING to save 10% on any test at checkout, and discover if you have any deficiencies that are impacting your running. Okay, in this conversation with Abby, we discuss her days as a track athlete, how her love for trail running began, what her transition was like from track to trails, the mindset shifts that are necessary as you start trail running, and her advice for aspiring trail runners. Abby is a genuine pleasure to hang out with, and her joy for the sport of running is practically tangible. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Miss Abby Levine. Hey, Abby. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Jason. Yeah, this is exciting. I've I've gotten you and Anna Mae Flynn and Abby Hall on the podcast from our uh, event that we did up in Boulder. So I'm excited to continue the conversation with you too. Likewise, that was fun. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed hearing about your journey to trail running and ultra marathons from your background. Um, and, and I really wanted to dive into that today on this conversation because I think you have a really interesting story. Um, maybe let's rewind a little bit and go back. When did you realize that you loved running and wanted to make it a big part of your life? So I actually really hated running when I got into it. I was a competitor. Hey, me too. <laughs> I think it, that's like a good omen, I think. Um, yeah, I was a competitive swimmer growing up and we started running after swim practice when I was in middle school. And I don't know if it was because we'd already had swum for a couple hours or I just wasn't used to the gravitational pull of running, but I remember we ran around, it was like a lacrosse field. We did one lap and I thought it was the hardest thing I'd ever done, you know, after swimming for three hours, no problem. And then our coach told us to do another lap and I started crying. Like, so that was my introduction to running and I really didn't like it until maybe a couple of years later, I think I grew a little bit. I got a little bit taller and all of a sudden running after swim practice became really fun. It just felt so liberating and freeing and you're actually going somewhere versus just staring at a black line going back and forth in a pool. And then I still really thought of myself as a swimmer, but I went to boarding school in Massachusetts since I'm from rural New Hampshire. And ironically, I went to boarding school so I could keep swimming um, because my swim team was so far away from the regional high school I would have gone to in New Hampshire. And I had to do a sport in the fall and I thought cross country would keep me in the best shape for swimming. And I, it immediately became apparent that I was a much better runner than I am a swimmer. And it was also just so fun. Being, I'm a, I love talking and you can talk a lot more at cross country practice than you can in a pool. And yeah, I just, that's when I really started falling in love with it. But I still thought of myself as a swimmer through high school. You know, it's funny that you mentioned talking and how you can talk so much as a runner, because that's part of the reason why I fell in love with running too, is because when I joined the cross country team as a freshman in high school, 
I just had a lot of fun with the guys on the team. We would go for runs and it was like comedy hour. The guys on the team were just so funny and they were telling stories and jokes. And, you know, I was this freshman who was just trying to keep up with them, uh, which was hard because I was laughing hysterically almost the whole time because they were just funny people. And I I thought, is this really a sport? I just, I mean, I do have to run around, but I get to just tell jokes and stories and hang out with cool people every day after school. This is amazing. I think that's how you really know you're an endurance athlete when you're able to focus on the community aspect and just having fun and and chatting versus like, you know, focusing on the fact that you're running continuously for an hour. Yeah, I had to kind of ignore that for, you know, the first couple of weeks, though, because I remember my first run was three miles and I had to stop and walk so many times. And I was so sore afterward. It it felt like maybe my first half or yeah. marathon. It was unbelievable. There's definitely a big a big learning curve with running. Yeah. So when you started getting into running, was it cross country or was it track that you started really getting into? It was cross country. I ran. I actually, so again, I was still so much in the swimming mindset that I, this is the most stereotypical boarding school thing ever. I rode crew in the spring, my freshman and sophomore year. So I was only doing cross country those first two years. And then I finally came to my senses and ran track junior year. Um, Yeah. So it was just cross country. And then I actually, I also started getting into triathlons in the summer in high school a friend of mine kind of turned me on to that. So then I was I was continuing to run some in the summers as well, in addition to swimming twice a day in the summer. Wow, you are a testament to not specializing early in a yes. specific sport. Yes, I'm a big believer in that. I, I coach little kids in cross country now, and it's kind of ironic because I almost am there telling them to run less. You know, you have these eight-year-old kids that like, go swim, go play soccer. You don't have to run year round yet. Yeah, it's a little early for that, which it's crazy. You know, my daughter is just about six and a half now, and she's, you know, super athletic. I mean, she can do all these crazy things. I mean, she can do like, I remember one day before dinner, she did like 20 pull-ups, you know, not in a row, obviously, but I, I was just amazed at how strong and, and capable she is, but I'm pushing her to do whatever she wants as long as she's not doing one thing all the time. Yeah, I think that's so important for building long-term success in athletics. I actually I learned a lot about that through uh, before my senior year in college. I was working in Park City, Utah, and I just had this amazing opportunity to help start this foundation with Eric Hyden, who... He won the gold medal at the Olympics in 1980 for every every event in speed skating that year. Wow. And he grew up in maybe Minnesota and he cross country skied and played ice hockey and did all these all these sports. And then he really, you know, started focusing on speed skating and he won all those gold medals and as soon as he won all the gold medals, he quit because he got too famous. He was on the Wheaties box. And so then he actually became a cyclist and won the U.S. championships in cycling. But where I'm going with this is he started a foundation in Park City to get kids just to not specialize in sports for too young of an age, just to build this love of being outside and being athletic, but not specializing because he believes that's the key to long-term success in athletics. Yeah. And longevity too. You know, I think the more we're learning about what happens when you specialize really early in a sport is that, you know, you, you get pretty good at it, but you know, you start developing imbalances and certain, uh, inadequacies in your, in your physical fitness. And the injury rate is actually a lot higher for people who start specializing earlier. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I, you know, and even, I almost think this is just kind of my armchair theory, I wish I had played soccer growing up in addition to swimming, just to have those fast switch muscle fibers and all these skills you acquire through explosive movement. So even diversifying endurance sports versus ball sports and yeah, the more diversity, the better it seems like. For sure. Now, wait a minute. You mentioned you went to boarding school in Massachusetts and I grew up in Massachusetts. What school did you go to? I went to Phillips Academy in Andover. 
Massachusetts. Okay. Where I've heard of the school. I, I actually grew up in Lexington and oh, Arlington, yeah. which are just a couple towns away. Yeah, it's so close. I love Lexington. That's yeah, I was actually fun. just in Andover less than a year ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I have family there too. Oh, it's so pretty. I'm having, this is the time of year when I grow really nostalgic. It's so beautiful on the East Coast right now with all the colors and and the apples, apple picking and pumpkin picking. And it's just like the most beautiful time of year back then. Yeah. And as a fellow East Coaster, I'll have to say I have a bone to pick with Colorado because there's yeah. virtually no apple picking here. True. And that's just outrageous. It's so true. It doesn't feel fully like fall without no <laughs> like i need some i need some some apple picking yes. and apple cider donuts yes that was my <laughs> favorite run in high school i thought it was the longest run ever it was probably six miles but we did it once a season and it was this huge deal we trained for it all season and we'd run to an apple orchard and pick apples and eat apple cider donuts and drink hot apple cider and it was the best day. That's probably why I really started loving running actually. Yeah. (laughs) Coupled it with food. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, how did you run back after eating all that? Thankfully we didn't have to run back. Okay. (laughs) Above our pay grade. Yeah. In terms of mileage. All right. Now, Abby, you're a, you're a former track athlete and now you're, you know, this ultra trail athlete. And, and I love seeing runners go from the track to the trails, but I do want to talk about your, your track background a little bit. What was your favorite track event? The 10k by far. The 10k. Most people do not love 25 laps around the outdoor track. I, you know, I've always been someone, the longer, the better. I have virtually no speed. Uh, so I just seemed even in swimming from a young age, the longer the event, the better I did. And so I couldn't wait to run the 10 K in college. Obviously there's no, there's really, there was no 5 K in high school, but once I could move up to the 5 K and the 10 K in college, that was a dream. And, but the 10 K it's a very fickle event. It's either you either get into this flow and it's so fun and you just feel like you're flying and the, your, the track is pulling you forward or it's the opposite. You feel like the track is just dragging you into the mondo and time just comes to a stop and it's the most miserable thing you've ever done in your life. But I think that juxtaposition is what makes the highs even better, you know, when you experience those really low lows in that event. Yeah. I mean, that's that's running in a nutshell right there, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. So, so many, so many bad times, but when things do click and really come together, it makes everything worth it. Yes. Yeah. Now I've always thought the track is, is very difficult precisely for that reason. If you falter, if you have a bad day, it's on display for everyone at the meet to see in its entirety. It's not like cross country where, you know, the trail goes in the woods and, you know, you can have a bad day privately, you know? Uh, I remember probably my worst race ever. I was a freshman in college and I was running the 5,000 meters and I was coming back from an injury. I was in terrible shape. I probably had no business running a race, but you know, before the, before the gun went off, a friend of mine, you know, as we were ribbing each other, as we do in college said, you know, I'm going to lap you by mile two. And I just thought that was ridiculous. I said, that's not going to happen. Well, I ran like the slowest time that I had run, like even through the last couple of years of my high school career. And right before I hit the line for two miles, my friend just comes, blows my doors off and comes sprinting by me. And, you know, he did what he was said, he said he was going to do. Everyone was just kind of cheering me on, but in a real sad, pathetic way. And even my coach asked, Jason, do you want me to pull you from the race? And I was just like, no, I I just can't run any faster. (laughs) Oh, that's so brutal. Oh, God. Yeah. What's your favorite worst memory from the track? Oh, man, I have a couple. It's probably so I ran I I was really lucky uh, to run on the East Coast for undergrad. And I had some leftover eligibility from being injured. And so I ran for the University of Colorado in Boulder for two years in grad school. And my it was either my fifth or sixth year of eligibility I had a a really good early season 10k it felt 
effortless. I felt like I was just doing a tempo run. And that was like maybe the fourth fastest time in the NCAA at that for the season. So I got to regionals having very high expectations for myself and regionals were in Austin, Texas. And it was so, so hot to the point where the coaches had us warming up in these ice vests and we were putting our fingers in this like special contraption that's supposed to lower your core temperature. And I just do not run well in the heat. It's my kryptonite. And that was the worst. That 10K was the worst race of my life. I Not only did I not qualify for nationals, I felt like I was barely going to finish the race. Just time came to an absolute standstill. And as you kind of hinted at, track has this weird performance element to it. It's almost kind of like acting in this really weird way where you're, you have people watching you the entire time. Like, uh, there's some, who is it? Foucault, my Michelle Foucault, who's a a famous, uh, psychologist. He would call it like the, the octagon effect of when you have prison inmates being watched by their guards 24 seven. That's kind of how track can feel if you're having a bad race. <laughs> you're just a hell of an analogy, Abby. Judged by everyone watching you just suffer in this in this prison, this oval prison. And it oh I, and I remember seeing uh the coaches faces when I passed past them and they just looked, they felt so sorry for me. And that made me so sad because I felt like I was letting them down. Oh, that was, yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, that's always tough. But yeah, that's kind of the part of the game with track, isn't it? You're going to have the bad days, you're going to have the good days. But, um, you know, I think, you know, no matter what happens on the track, it's one of those experiences where, you know, you're going to learn from it anyway, right? Absolutely. You, you learn so much from, you learn so much more from the bad races than from the good races. Like going back to that good early season race, I really learned nothing from that. Like it just, you know, it went perfectly. It felt easy. I finished it and was kind of mad. I didn't try harder, uh, versus suffering through 25 laps of just agony. And every second you feel like you're learning something about yourself and, and you really have to, you dig a lot deeper in those really, really hard races than when you're running several minutes slower than the, the seemingly easy races when you run fast. So weird. Yeah, it is weird. Now, Abby, I do want to follow up on something you said earlier. You said that you you don't really have that much speed, but you have run under 16 minutes for 5K. And when we were talking in Boulder, maybe about a month ago, you talked about how, you know, with your track background, now that you're doing ultra marathons, you do have some speed compared to some other athletes who might be doing trail ultras. It's so, all relative, right? Isn't it relative, this concept of speed? It's, yeah, exactly. When I was running track, I, you know, we would do 400 meter repeats in practice and the milers would just smoke me. Uh, but then you move to the longer distance events and like, trail running, ultra running, and suddenly having a good 10K time makes you quote unquote fast. It's yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. (laughs) Now I assume that, you know, even as a track athlete, when you were at UC Boulder for graduate school, you must've run a lot of trails, right? Yeah. You know, we, we stuck to the very pedestrian trails. So there's I, there's a couple, they're basically glorified roads. Uh, probably the most, the most used one is Bobo link in South Boulder and it's just a dirt path. I ride my bike on it all the time. Um, we, yeah. So I thought it's funny. I thought I was getting the trail experience when I was running track because we were going on these, these pretty flat, very buffed out trails. Uh, and it wasn't until I had friends in the trail world that I realized there was this entire world of trails up in the foothills that I had never, I didn't even know existed. It was like a whole, yeah, a whole nother world, like going through the wardrobe and in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe into Narnia. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm always amazed at what you can find within a half an hour of Boulder, the kinds of trails you can be on. It's just really stunningly beautiful. It's incredible. We have such an amazing, just diverse network of trails. Yeah. Both in Boulder and above Boulder, outside of Boulder. We're so, so lucky. So when you're in graduate school, you started running on these, you know, I'll call them JV trails. Yeah. <laughs> Is that when you started getting into trail running or off-road running or or was it later when you started making more friends in the ultra space? So, yeah, I was I actually raced I was a professional triathlete for a couple couple years after grad school. So, trail running was not on my radar at all. I had one friend who had run for CU Boulder and he was actually a really good trail runner and I thought he was crazy. He would go out for these 30 mile runs and I thought maybe he was making it up. Like I didn't really believe him. <laughs> was this and before I, Strava? You, this you is, couldn't check it. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely was not on Strava at the time. And he was going over to Europe and doing all of these really cool races. But, you know, I feel like there's enough of a, a divide but um, between trail running and track, or at least at that time, where I kind of had a chip on my shoulder as a track runner. I was like, oh, well, whatever. It's like slow trail running, stupid, whatever. He's going to Europe. That's cool. But those races aren't important, which is just such a silly attitude to have. But I was so absorbed in the track world that – and I feel like, you know, maybe – any sport is like this. If you're insular enough within your own community, you just, you really respect the work that your peers are putting in. And it's hard to take yourself out of your shoes and imagine how hard people are working in other sports or in other disciplines. And I definitely fell victim to that. So yeah, it wasn't until several years later when I was a triathlete that one of my best friends from college, she moved out here and she was doing really well, really well in trail running. And I started running with her and that's when I really fell in love with, with the sport. Now, how many years ago was that? That was 2017. Okay. So not very long ago. Yeah. I'm trying to say we're coming up on the third year anniversary of my first ultra, which was thanks to my friend. That's yeah. what friends do, right? They get yeah. you into ultra marathons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, look at you now. I mean, you're a full-time trail runner. You're getting into these ultra distances. And, you know, you wrote something really beautiful on Instagram when you got hurt this past summer. And uh, I want to share it here. You said, I miss soaking in the barren majesty of mountains from the solitude of single track. I think you do a hell of a job of capturing the allure of trail mountain running right there. And do you think you'd be writing things like that five years ago? I think, I don't, you know, that's a good question. I think I've always had an appreciation for the outdoors growing up in rural New Hampshire. And there's a mountain in my hometown that almost feels like part of my family. It's, I've always really cherished being outside. Um, but I think I had a different lens. Like I, I definitely appreciated different aspects of being outside before I was a trail runner. Uh, when I was a triathlete, that involved me not listening to my coach and riding up into the mountains because I just wanted to look at the mountains. I was supposed to be doing intervals on, on the roads around Boulder and I would just go on six hour bike rides and go look at the snow capped peaks. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I derived a lot of like energy and gratitude through that. And yeah, now as a trail runner, it's, it's definitely shifted more to the more intimate feeling of being on a trail and being able to touch the leaves right in front of your face and see the animals jumping across the trail. And it's just a quieter, slower pace than something you get on a bike and a more intimate feeling than you get from being on a road, even though I still love, love running on roads. They're great. They serve their purpose. You know, the way I think about it is that, you know, if, if trail running is like meditation, then being a track athlete and, and, you know, racing on the track, you know, that's like a totally different type of mental exercise. That's like doing, you know, uh, uh, 
math worksheets in a classroom compared to meditating. It's faster. It There's more pressure, I think, uh, as opposed to trail running, which it's a slower, more meditative kind of uh, an experience, especially because of the environment that you find yourself in. Right. It's true. And I think it actually poses a unique challenge, especially for shorter trail races, like even a 50K, that sounds long, but it's basically like running a marathon and you're engaged the whole time. You're running as hard as you can in a 50K. And that's something that I've really been, I've been trying to work on. How do I push myself and get to that same level of exertion that you, that you can on a track when you're in this beautiful place and you just want to look at the landscape around you and slow down? It's, it's a hard paradox to try to justify or rectify. It is hard because you can't really look around. I made that mistake in a trail race and I fell on my face. Uh, exactly. I broke my wrist in a race from doing that exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you went on to finish the race and win the race. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I read about that. That's very impressive. <laughs> it was, you know, it actually breaking my wrist wasn't the worst thing to happen because I, that hurt so much that I was able to push my body harder, I think, because I was so distracted by the pain in my wrist. I didn't really notice that I was trying really hard and that my legs hurt and my feet were sore. Um, so I guess maybe I should try to, you know, learn more from that experience and try to distract, distract myself from being able to, you know, tap into that same level of pain in other ways other than breaking your wrist. Yeah, that might be the most hardcore thing ever said on the Strength Running Podcast, Abby. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you switched from being a triathlete to being more of an ultra trail runner, what, what really prompted that switch and what was that transition like for you? So it was catalyzed by a couple of factors. The biggest one was as a triathlete, I, I was training about 35 hours a week. And when I wasn't training, I was so tired. I really didn't have energy to do that much else. And I was really unhappy devoting so much of my life to sports and not using my brain more and feeling like I was contributing to the world in a more meaningful way. And especially because triathlon is a pretty isolating sport. I, you know, you're just, even though you'd see people at swim practice and you might meet up for people with people for a bike ride or for a run your overall training is, it's pretty solo. And I just felt lonely. And yeah, like I wasn't really doing enough. So I finished my season on a pretty high note. And kind of was questioning whether I wanted to keep doing it. And then my friend roped me into doing this 50k trail race in California. And I just fell in love with both the training for it and the race itself. We have such an amazing trail running community in Boulder. I started running with the Rocky Mountain Runners, and I was just blown away by the fact that the group was filled with both professional runners and recreational runners, people of all abilities that are doctors and lawyers and nurses and engineers, and they just had such a diverse uh, worldview, and they were so fun. They Every Monday, we, we run up Green Mountain in Boulder and then go to the pub and drink beer and eat dinner. And I just love that community. And then the race itself, uh, it was a 50K in the Marin Headlands across from San Francisco. And it was just so beautiful. And But it the race is on fire roads. And so you're still able to run really fast. And I just got to this level of deep fatigue that I just find really satisfying. I've always kind of loved tapping into that headspace where you're kind of delirious. You probably are a little salt deficient, a little calorie deficient, and which is something, by the way, that I've learned to overcome uh, since then, but I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And I remember kind of like I was bonking and almost on the verge of tears because I my brain just needed more sugar. And it's like, you're kind of miserable, but to the point where after it's like the greatest thing you've ever done. It's so satisfying and fun once you're done. Uh, and I just really, I loved that experience because it was so different than these two hour triathlon races I was doing. Cause I was training for the type of triathlons that are in the Olympics and they're really fast and short. And I kind of just like slogging 
a little bit more. Yeah. Olympic distance triathlete triathlons are, can you go through the distances so that I know? Yeah, it's, um, it's a mile swim, a 40 K bike ride and a 10 K run. That seems manageable. It's very manageable. It's to the yeah. point where it's, it's just all out the entire time. Yeah. A 25 mile bike ride is, you know, what's that? Uh, an hour, maybe a little more than an hour. Exactly. Yeah. You're just hammering. Yep. Was it hard for you? I know, you know, with a triathlon background, especially in these shorter distances where speed is really at a premium. And then of course, with your track background where, you know, it's all about speed. Was it hard to embrace walking during a race, which is just a necessary part of running ultra marathons? Yes, that was very hard for me. I remember in that first 50K, some of the hills were really steep and I probably walked for a total of three minutes. Honestly, I, I should have walked more, but it just felt like the ultimate sign of defeat to concede to walking. And I, I laugh thinking about that now because power hiking is such a valuable tool in trail running and you can go so much faster overall if you utilize that weapon smart, uh, smartly. Is that a word? <laughs> I, um, I actually uh i've i it's really people are are kind of confused now because my favorite races involve a lot of power hiking i really really love it and three years ago i would have never signed up for a race that involved a lot of power hiking i just thought it was silly yeah i struggle with that too just you know with me growing up as a cross country and track runner in high school and that's what i did in college too um as soon as the gun goes off i just have this severe anxiety to get to the finish line as quickly as possible so you know when you're up in the mountains and you're doing a trail race and all of a sudden you have to walk because you're at 9500 feet and you're going up a two mile long steep uphill, you know, it, it makes sense to walk and it actually is better for your performance, but that is such a tough thing for you to wrap your mind around. It is it. Yeah. It, and I think the best way to think about it is this is actually, as you said, the way to go the fastest. I did this hundred K this summer up in the Rockies or on the continental divide in Colorado. So the whole race was over 10,000 feet of uh elevation and because there isn't as much oxygen it's both harder to breathe and you're kind of borderline nauseous the whole time and it was a you know it was a 14 hour race and i was power hiking pretty much or walking whatever you want to call it every uphill in that race and i won the race by a couple hours like you know it's just it's just part of the sport but it was so fun i and it saves your body your hip flexors don't fall as fall apart as quickly if you're walking and then you can run the downhills faster you just feel better you can enjoy your surroundings more to some degree like I don't want to paint this impression that walking you're just walking at this leisurely pace like you're still you're going as fast if not faster than you would be if you were trying to run on those steep grades but it just adds this whole another element to the sport that I think is really fun and exciting and like it's fun because you get to use your brain and it's a lot of strategy. Like, okay, do I want to try to walk here? Do I want to try to run? Like, how do I want to try to pace myself for these longer efforts? Well, maybe you can help me there because I don't really know too many good walking strategies for trail ultras. When do you typically walk? What is, what is the kind of the, the rules that you have in your head for, okay, I'm going to walk these parts of the race and I'm going to run these sections, you know, like, how do you think about all that? Uh, it pretty much comes down to, do I think I can power hike or walk this faster than I am currently running? Because if it's at a high enough altitude and it's a steep enough grade, at some point your run just becomes really slow. Uh, and the same goes with trails that are really technical and have big step ups. I find that it's I get a lot more power and it's a lot more efficient for me to just walk up big steps than to try to carry your momentum from step to step running. So it's a little bit of just a kind of this intuitive thing. Okay, how fast am I going? And being honest with yourself. Okay, I am going really slow right now running. I should just 
try to start hiking. And you can gauge, a good way to gauge that is if you're running with someone else and they're going at a constant speed and you switch between running and hiking, you get an idea of how fast you're going. That's like, that's been a really valuable tool for me to try to kind of just hone exactly in on when I should start running versus hiking is basing it off of other people in training or in a race. I discovered that this past June, I ran the Dirty 30 12 miler. So not the 50K. I I attempted that in 2015, but I had to drop out with a knee injury. But in the 12 miler, you know, there's still some very steep technical parts of the race. And I remember with, I was with one or two other runners and they were running the whole time. And I was kind of going back and forth between running and hiking, but we were all going the same effort. And so I think it was a a good testament to the fact that you're not necessarily going to go slower if you start walking. No, I, I really want to impress that you will often go faster. And that's the whole point. You're trying to go as fast as you can in this race. Right. And often hiking is faster than running as counterintuitive as that is. Yeah, definitely. And do you ever think about heart rate when it comes into the calculation of whether to walk or to run? Because I know for me, sometimes when I'm running and the the trail gets so steep or technical, you know, I'm running 12, 13, 14 minute mile pace, it's almost and my heart rate is is through the roof. And I'm just like, I just need to walk a little bit because this is just getting out of hand. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny how you can you can walk and go about the same pace with a lower heart rate than you would be if you were running. And that's also something that I've really embraced in training. Um, I think when I first started exclusively trail running, I would run these, these uh, loops in Boulder that are pretty hilly. And without even realizing it, my heart rate was just really high on my, tra- my easy training runs. And I think I kind of got overtrained just by, it was basically doing like a tempo every day without trying to, right? Because hills are kind of just sneaky, sneaky speed. Uh, And so now if I feel like my heart rate is too high on an easy run, I'll just switch to hiking. And just, you just have to let go of your ego as much as you can and say, this is the best thing for me long-term. Trail running is almost an exercise in letting go of your ego, isn't it? So true. Yes. From everything from training to racing. Yeah. For sure. And humility and and also getting your, realizing your place on earth. There's nothing like being 30 miles into a race and just feeling incredibly insignificant in the universe. This little blip on a mountain doing this absolutely pointless activity. Yeah, it really contextualizes your place on the planet. Yeah, when you're looking around for 30 miles in every direction and you see all these mountains, you you do feel really small, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So Abby, besides, um, you know, kind of getting comfortable with walking in both racing and training, which which was kind of a big transition for you, what are some other mindset shifts that had to happen for you? when you started doing these longer trail races compared to, you know, either your track background or your time as a triathlete? I think the biggest one is hydration and fueling. Um, going back to that, that first 50 K I did, I did this, uh, training run in Boulder with a couple friends. We call it the gold Hill loop. So you run from downtown Boulder up to the, the town of gold Hill, which is, over 3,000 feet above us, and then you run back down on a different road. It's quite punishing loop, 20-mile loop. And I had never run over 15 miles at that point. And for a 15-mile run, I can get away with not eating or drinking anything. But for this run, which was about two and a half hours, you really needed to hydrate and fuel. It was just long enough where your body starts to break down. And so I think I brought maybe a mini Snicker bar and one bottle of water, and I bonked out of my mind on the downhill. I we, we got to the base of the downhill, and we had one little climb left to get back to, to the start, and I just, I started crying to my friend. I just, I had nothing left, and she just cracked up and she gave me a couple gummies that got me to the end of the run and then I collapsed and it was kind of a similar feeling in that race a couple weeks later 
I just, I wasn't eating and drinking enough and just bonked super hard. And it was, it was pretty painful, but it was a good lesson. I, you know, the eating and drinking is about half the battle in these longer races. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that, uh, anybody who comes from a shorter distance background is kind of amazed at how much care and effort you have to put into the fueling and the hydration when you start doing not just ultra marathons, but, you know, more technical ultras where, you know, the time on your feet is even more, uh, uh, substantial and particularly because, you know, also you're doing these races at altitude and altitude further dehydrates you and makes you go slower, meaning it's going to take even longer. So the fact that you're just being dehydrated by the air while you're exercising at altitude on these super long runs, you know, it really, really shows how important it is to get some extra fueling inside of you. Yeah, it's so important, but it's ironic because at altitude, it's it's harder to eat. You get nauseous and you don't, you also, I think kind of your thirst and hunger signals, they get subdued and it's, it's something that you have to just force yourself to do. And same thing with something like a 50 K where you're going as hard as you can the whole time. The last thing you want to do is eat. I think that people have this perception that longer races are just kind of these fun outings where you get to like snack a lot and eat fun foods like chips and candy and drink Coke. And that's true, but it's often you forcing those things into your body because that's, you need it to keep going. Yeah. I've heard that ultra marathons are really like an all you can eat buffet separated by some running. Right. It's true, but you often are not eating most of the things in the buffet, unfortunately. This 100K I did this summer, they kept asking me if I wanted quesadillas when I got to the aid stations. And that was, honestly, that sounded like the most, thought, the last thing I wanted to eat. Like real food was not going <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. I'm like, well, yeah, I want a quesadilla, but not now. Right, not right now. Like, can you make this for me after the race? Yeah, come, see me in a couple hours. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So Abby, um, you've talked about how running has made you cry. You've talked about how some of these races, you're just nauseous the whole time. You've really been selling trail running to our <laughs> audience today. <laughs> now, if someone is um, maybe a little apprehensive about their first trail run or trail race, do you have any advice for them? Well, I first of all, I want to clarify that trail running is so fun. And <laughs> it really is. Like, There's nothing better. The if you live like I'm really lucky to live in Boulder where I have trails out my front door but even if you don't I think it's really liberating the fact that the science just isn't as precise as in marathoning and I think eventually maybe we'll get to the point where it is a little bit more precise but I also have a hunch that for these longer races that also just are more variable, even in, in shorter trail races, there's a lot more up and down and just a lot more variables and running on a pretty flat road. There isn't a one size fits all type of training plan. And that gives you a lot of freedom to just go out and really fall in love with the sport and, and listen to your body and listen to your heart. Like, where do you want to go run today? What do I want to do? And even if you can go run stairs and that's great training for trail running, like there's just so many different things you can do. And I think that, yeah, it's just really fun and also should give you a lot of confidence that you can go out and do pretty much anything. And if you work hard, you'll be pretty prepared for your race. Uh, and obviously it helps to kind of, you know, get a little bit more specific. If you're doing a certain type of trail race, you can hone your training in a little bit more specifically, but whatever, you don't have to, uh, cause a lot, because the other half of trail running is that it's really mental and it's a great chance to explore the limits of your mind it, to a point that I think goes beyond ro road marathoning in a way. I actually, uh, Jason Coop, who's a He's an ultra marathon coach. I was listening to a podcast with him recently, and he was saying this that how ultras, you never get to the point in training that you, well, let's see if I can phrase this better. You get to a point in ultra marathons that you never get to in training. In a road marathon, you might train, 
you might go on a 20 mile run. That's pretty similar to the 26 mile run you're going to do in your race. But if you're training for a 50 mile trail race, you're going to be out there for maybe eight hours, maybe 16 hours. And you're going to have to tap into a level of your mind that you didn't know existed. And that is, it's just such a fun exercise. And I think it's so life affirming to realize that you have this store of mental energy and mental fortitude deep down in your mind that you didn't know existed. That was beautiful, Abby. Thank you. But it didn't answer your question, which was, do I have any advice uh, for people getting into trail running? I think it's my biggest advice is to find, if you want to do a race, find a race that inspires you, whether that's the distance or the course or visiting a city you've never been to, or maybe you have some friends that are doing a race and you want to go run with them. I think I've learned the hard way that if you're really inspired by the landscape or by some some specific element of the race, you're going to have a lot more fun and find meaning and purpose in what you're doing because there's nothing worse than getting halfway through a race and asking yourself, why am I doing this? Which you inevitably will ask yourself, but then not having a good answer for that. You know, the more I think about ultra marathons, I think they're just such an incredible opportunity for self-discovery in a way that shorter races are not. Yeah. And I don't think that's to take anything away from shorter races, you know, especially coming from me, someone who's never even done an ultra marathon. And, you know, I kind of have a special affinity for the shorter races. But I do think that because you can't train exactly like you, you will uh, race an ultra marathon. So, you know, like you said, if you do a 50 miler or a hundred miler, you're probably not going to go do a 50 mile run or a hundred mile run in training. You know, that's, right. you know, you're only going to experience that in the race itself. And so there's a much bigger element of the unknown. And I think that is exciting in a certain way. It's really exciting because you don't know what it's going to feel like. You don't know how you're going to respond to it. You don't know how emotionally you're going to grapple with the demands of the race, but that's part of the allure of it. Exactly. I completely agree. And I also, I want to mention that short races are really, really, really hard in their own right. And I actually think that if you have some experience racing 5Ks, whether it's on a track or on the road, same thing with the 10K, half marathon, marathon, you are able to tap into this level of of acute pain that really serves you well in longer races. If you know how to suffer for a short amount of time, like really severely, that really helps you once you're suffering at a more subdued level for a long time. Yeah, I think it's a certain type of mental fitness or mental toughness that goes into those short races. And while you know, what you need in the ultra, you know, I think is like a close cousin of that same type of mental toughness. It, they're certainly related, um, but it, it's another way to flex those mental fitness muscles for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And it puts the pain in perspective. I actually, I was just thinking recently, I need to go jump into something short just to kind of taste that feeling of, you know, the blood in your throat, just all out race situation, because it will make this 50 mile race I'm training for feel easier. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, like a 10k on the track will make the 50 just seem so slow and easy, right? Yeah, it does. And now that I, I haven't been doing as many short races, 50ks feel really fast. And I'm like, okay, these shouldn't feel this fast. I need to go actually run fast, put this back in perspective. Yeah. Now, what are you racing next? Do you have a race on the schedule? Yeah, I'm training for the North Face 50 Mile uh, Endurance Challenge, which is in San Francisco. It's actually the longer version of the 50K that was my first race three years ago. Oh, so you're coming full circle now. Yep, exactly. And this race, it's it's kind of like the de facto 50 Mile uh, US Champs, like Trail US Champs could say so awesome. it's, it's going to be a blood fest <laughs> Hopefully in a good way yeah. how's your training been going training's going really well actually i uh so i broke my foot at the beginning of the summer and i transitioned transitioned back into running through a lot of hiking which set me up really well for that 100k i did earlier this summer and so i was a little bit apprehensive to start training for a fast 50 mile race that's all on fire roads where you're running the whole time. There's very little power hiking involved. Um, but to my 
utter surprise and delight. I've really been having fun trying to regain some of my speed. It's just, I feel like every week I'm making progress and it's, it's a really, yeah, it's really fun both to see that progress and then also to just be able to enjoy running faster. Like running just is feeling easier. And when it feels easier, it's generally more fun. And you did mention too, that the break that you had to take from running kind of cleared up a long standing hamstring injury that you had. Is that right? You have a very good memory. Yeah, <laughs> I've been dealing with a chronic high hamstring tendonitis since junior year of college. And it just, yeah, finally having about a two-month break, I think, just really helped. Also, the fact that I've been working with a strength coach pretty diligently now for over a year where we've really been targeting my hamstring has really helped. But also taking time off got rid of my planner problems. So yeah, it really just was a great body and mind reset. I returned to running with a lot more gratitude to just be able to get out there. And I really felt that in that 100K. I was just so happy to be moving on two feet outside. It was such a such a gift. Well, it sounds like that was a much needed physical and mental recharge for you. So I'm glad that, you know, that injury did have a silver lining and now you're feeling good and you're you're rearing to go. Um Abby, thanks so much for for chatting with me. And, you know, where can we stay in touch with your training? Because I think you're a really interesting person to keep in touch with and and follow your training because you do some really epic, uh, epic runs out here in Colorado. Well, thanks, Jason. Um, Yeah, I'm on Strava. That's a good place to follow uh, my training and my friends. We do some, yeah, some fun adventures. Uh, I think it's just my name on Strava. I also have gotten recently into Relive, which is kind of a fun app based out of Amsterdam and it does this like 3d uh recap of your run where you get to follow along if you like if you've ever watched the Tour de France the cycling race how they they show the elevation uh for each stage it's kind of like that it's that's kind of fun um and then I'm also on Instagram and I have a Twitter handle but I don't really use it I mostly just heart people other people's tweets (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will link to all of these different platforms on the blog post surrounding this episode. So if you're listening and you want to find Abby, you can go to the Strength Running site. Abby, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jason. You're amazing. So fun chatting with you. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if so, an honest review on Apple Music is incredibly appreciated. As always, you can find show notes, links to books, resources, training programs, videos, and more that we discussed on the show at strengthrunning.com. I also want to thank Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's show. They're a health analytics company that tests for over 40 different blood biomarkers. And based on your physiology, they offer you custom solutions to help you optimize any areas that might be outside of what your personal zones might be. So if you're training for a difficult race, maybe you want to ramp up your recovery because you haven't been feeling very good, or you're just a passionate running geek like me who's always looking for more ways to improve, you can get 10% off any test that they offer at insidetracker.com with code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout. It's not case-sensitive, and it can be used for any tier that they offer from the affordable do-it-yourself kit to the ultimate package. Just use code STRENGTHRUNNING to claim your 10% savings at Inside Tracker. Just don't do what I did and get a bunch of blood drawn in the morning only to go summon a mountain at altitude an hour later. Some lessons just have to be learned the hard way. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. And as always, if you have any feedback or questions, don't hesitate to reach out. My email is support at strengthrunning.com. And I'm always here to help. Talk to you soon. <laughs>